Chapter 5 of Among the Trees at Elmridge. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Firetech. Among the Trees at Elmridge by Ella Rodman Church. Chapter 5 Beauty and Grace The Ash. What tree comes next, Miss Harson? asked Clara on an April day that was mild enough for the piazza. You told us so many interesting things about the oak that I suppose we needn't expect to hear of any other tree like that. No, was a reply. Not just like that. Perhaps for the oak is a grand and venerable above all familiar trees, but the ash, which is more especially an American tree, belongs to a large and interesting family, and I'm quite sure that you will very much like to hear something about it. I have put it next to the oak because there's a sort of rivalry between the two as to which can get on its spring dress the soonest, and an old English rhyme says, If the oak's before the ash, then you may expect a splash, but if the ash is for the oak, then you must beware a soak. That must mean, said Malcolm, after considering this rather puzzling verse, that it'll rain anyway. I think it does, replied Miss Harson with a smile at Malcolm's air of deep thought. And it's quite safe to say that in England. But, as a soak sounds more serious than a splash, it is to be hoped that the ash will not get ahead of the oak. I do not know what they are doing in England this year, but here the oak is a day or two ahead. The foliage of the ash is entirely different, as it has pinnate leaves, which means leaves arranged in two rows, one on each side of a common stem or a petiole, like what, Clara? Rose leaves, was the prompt reply. And leaves of the locust trees on the other side of the road, added Malcolm. And the sumac, said the governess, and a number of others that might be mentioned. This kind of foliage is always graceful, and the ash is one of our largest and handsomest trees. It is said to be more common in America than in any other part of the globe. In Europe, because of its beauty, it's called the painter's tree. It is a particularly neat and regular-looking tree, and its smooth gray trunk is higher than that of most trees before any branches appear. Where is there a tree on the grounds, answering this description, Malcolm? Down at the end of the vegetable garden, was a reply, and close beside the laundry. Yes, you are really learning to distinguish trees very well. There are several species, the white, red, black, and mountain ash. The white ash is a graceful tree, rising in the forest to the height of seventy or eighty feet, with a straight trunk and a diameter of three feet or more at the base. In an open plain it throws out its branches, with a gentle double curvature to a distance on every side, and forms a broad, round head of great beauty. The flowers of the ash are greenish-white in color, and appear with the leaves in loose clusters. The trunk of our largest American ash is covered with a whitish bark, which in very young trees is nearly smooth. On older trees it is broken up by deep furrows into irregular plates, and on very old stems it becomes smooth again, from the rough plates scaling off. The branches are grayish-green dotted with gray or white. Now who can tell me something about this tree? I know that furniture is made of the wood, said Clara, because that pretty set in the large spare room is ash, and it is very light-colored. 
The wood is used for a great many things, replied Miss Harson, and the ash has been called the husband's man's tree because the timber is so much in demand for farming implements and for articles that need to be both strong and light. It does not last as long as the oak, but it is more elastic and can better resist sudden shocks and jerks. It is therefore particularly desirable for the spokes of wheels and ladders and the beams of floors. Staircases were made of it in olden times, and they may still be found in some English halls and abbeys. The forest ash makes better ores than any other wood, and the tree has so many good qualities that an old English poet spoke of it as the ash for nothing ill. But Malcolm looks as if he had something to say, and I shall be very happy to hear it. It's only about the berries that they bear in autumn, Miss Harson. It looks queer to see berries growing on a tree. The mountain ash is the only one that has berries, replied his governess, and the bloom is in clusters of white flowers. The berries are sometimes dark red and often of a bright scarlet, and they remain on the tree during the winter, to the great delight of the birds. We should find them very sour, although pretty to look at, but the little feathered wonders eat them with great relish when the snows of winter make bird food scarce, and the bright red berries gleam out most invitingly. In some parts of Europe, the berries are dried and ground into flour. The rowan, or roan tree, is the English name for the mountain ash, and in some parts of Great Britain it is called the witchen, because of its supposed power against witches and evil spirits and all their spells. In old times, branches of it were hung about houses and stables and cowsheds, for it was thought that witches have no power, where there is roan tree wood. But that isn't true, is it? asked Edith. No, dear, not true of either the witches or the wood. But ignorant people believe a great many foolish things, and the leaves and twigs of the ash were thought to have peculiar virtue. In some places, it was once the practice to pluck the ash leaf in every case where the leaflets were of even number, and say, Even ash I do thee pluck, hoping thus to meet good luck. If no luck I get from thee, better far be on the tree. It sounds like what children say on finding a four-leafed clover, said Clara. It's on the same principle, was her reply, for clover leaves grow naturally in threes, and ash leaves in sevens. Both rhymes are equally silly where luck is concerned, and those who believe in God's words, that even the hairs of our head are all numbered, will have no faith in luck. In old times, the ash was believed to perform wonderful cures of various kinds, and in remote parts of England, a little mouse called the shrew mouse bore a very bad character. If a horse or a cow had pains in its limbs, they were said to be caused by a shrew mouse running over it. Our forefathers provided themselves with what they called a shrew ash in order to meet the case. The shrew ash was nothing more than an ash tree in the trunk of which a hole had been bored, and a poor little shrew mouse was put in, with many charms and incantations, happily long since forgotten. And couldn't the poor little mouse get out again? asked Edith. I'm afraid not, dear, and we can only rejoice that we did not live in those dark days. Among other beliefs in its virtues, the leaves of the wood and the ash were regarded throughout northern Europe as a protection from all manner of snakes, and in harvest time children were suspended from their cradles from the branches of tall ash trees while their mothers were working in the harvest field below.
Even now, serpents are said to dislike the tree so much that they will not come near it, and the leaf is considered a cure for the bite of a poisonous snake. I have been told that an ash leaf rubbed on a mosquito bite will once take out the sting and itching, and no better remedy can be found for the sting of a bee or a wasp. It's ever so much nicer than mud, said Clara, who had rather a talent for getting into hornet's nests. But the mud, you see, is always to be had, replied Miss Harson, while ash leaves do not grow everywhere. And I do not know that they have any power to cure the sting. The other species of ash found in this country are not so important as the white, but the black ash is remarkable as the slenderest deciduous tree of its height to be found in the forest. It is often seventy or eighty feet tall with a trunk not more than a foot around. The color of the trunk is a dark granite gray and the bark is rough. The wood is remarkable for its toughness and for making baskets the Indians prefer it to any other except the trunk of a young white oak. The red ash is very much like the white, but the wood is less valuable. It is a spreading, broad-headed tree and the trunk is erect and branching. It's not so tall as the black ash yet its trunk is three times as thick. A species of ash grows in Sicily that yields a substance called manna, which used to be valuable as a medicine, and this manna is obtained in the same way as maple sap, by making holes or incisions in the bark of the tree. At the proper season, the person whose business it is to collect manna begin to make incisions, one after the other, up the stem. The manna flows out like clear water, but it soon congeals and becomes a solid substance. It has a sweet taste, and while in liquid state runs into a leaf of the tree that has been inserted in the wound. After it flows into the vessel placed below, for which it is carried away and shipped off to other countries. Is there any story about the ash? asked Malcolm. Not much of a story, dear, was the reply. Only a legend of the manna trees. But, such as it is, you shall have it. The king of Naples, it is said, fenced a number of trees round and forbade any to collect the store they yielded unless they paid a tribute. By this means, the royal revenue would be largely increased. But, according to the story, the manna trees, as if they disapproved of this ungenerous arrangement, refused to yield any manna, and suddenly became bare and barren. Upon this the king, finding his scheme a failure, revoked the tax and took away the fence. Then the trees poured out their manna, as usual, in the greatest abundance. So it was said, when the king found he could not make a gain of what providence had freely bestowed, he gave up on the attempt and left the manna as free as God had given it. There now, said Miss Harson, after this long talk you had better run off and see if there's not a tree somewhere on the grounds, with two ropes attached to it, that will bear better fruit than any tree we have studied yet. The trio laughed and raced for the swing, which was first reached by Clara, who seated herself all ready for the push, which Malcolm would not grudge, for he pronounced his sister sweeter than apple or peach, and so she was. End of chapter 5